0: It's good to be in this room again after uh, many, many years. It has uh, good memories for most of us. I'll tell you one of mine, it was just occurring to me. Uh, My first Sunday here at Sagemont a million years ago, I came here early and I was uh, just coming on staff and Brother John thought a good introduction that day would be for me to preach in his place. So he used to sit right here in front, and I didn't want to take the pastor's seat, so I occupied the seat, Ron, where you're sitting right now, and I thought it was legal and acceptable to do, and then a lady who is now with the Lord came over, and she looked down at me, and she said, young man, so that gives you an idea how long ago that was, she said, do you know you're in my seat? Yeah. It's a Baptist church. That's how you people do it. And so I I told her I did not know that. Well, you are. I said, I am so sorry. So I got up, and I changed my seat. And then when it was time to preach, I got up, and I looked at her. And she was turning all kinds of colors. And uh, Mary Wilkins, do you remember Mary? That's who it was. And so from that point on, for the next several years, Till she went home to be with the Lord no matter what the context or setting was I told that story on her behalf <laughs> so Ron do you know you're in my seat great to be here folks thanks for coming tonight we began a bit of a challenging series last week on the government not what I think or you think what does the Bible say and last week, we began to address, let's see if this works. This is new stuff. I'll tell you in a second. And it doesn't. Let's see. They're supposed to be really, oh, hey, you don't have to yell. So, so uh, we began to address last week a couple questions about the government. One, whose idea is it? And I made the case from Romans 13, key passage on the subject, that government is God's idea. Three major institutions authored by God. One is the family. A second is the church. And yes, government is a third institution, sacred really in nature, because God is the author thereof. We spoke about that. And then the second question, let's see this. Look at that. What does the government owe us? That's what we discussed last week. And I summarized what I thought was the answer to this question by calling your attention to this passage of Scripture. It's key. 1 Peter 2. Submit yourselves, it says, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether to a king as one in authority, that's government, or to governors as sent By him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise who do right. And I made the case that embedded in that verse, you can see a twofold purpose of government. One is to punish evildoers, and the second is to praise those who do good. So the role of government in punishing evildoers is essentially to say, our job is to protect those citizens who wish to live in peace from those who do not. So the premier role of government is to enforce what we could call the rule of law. The second function of government is to praise those citizens who don't do evil, they do good. Why is that important? Because if citizens of their own volition are doing those good things which contribute to the betterment of society, that means government doesn't have to do it. That means if citizens are caring for one another, needy, poor people, then the government does not have to tax us to fund so many social and entitlement programs. Therefore, if citizens are doing good things, social justice things, then the government ought to praise them because those citizens are doing that which the government then doesn't have to do. In other words, the twofold responsibility of government can be summed up in one word, justice. The government owes its citizenry justice. The just thing is to administer punishment to those who do evil and to administer praise to those who do good. And so tonight, we're going to address this question, having looked at those. This is the question I'd like to ask for your attention with tonight. What does the government not owe us? Now that question implies that many people think, in fact, I think an increasing number of people think the government owes us everything. Free phones, uh, free college tuition, free healthcare. Those are all very, very good things. I'm not knocking it, but is that the role of government? And if so, what's problematic about that? Well, let me suggest this. If we are right to have an expectation of all those things being provided for us by the government, then this. In order for the government to provide all that we want, the government wants us to provide it with permission to grow. You want me to deliver all these goods? Okay. Then you need to authorize a growing governmental bureaucracy, and you have to pay for it. So can you see the danger of the government being expected to provide even good things? Now, an unlimited government, I think I can demonstrate to you in a second, is, um, is a dangerous thing from a biblical perspective. Why? because unlimited government and unchecked government does not agree with the sinful people who govern. Uh, uh, God gave us government as a response to the fact that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Government is ordained by God therefore to restrain our sinful inclinations. But since that's characteristic of those who govern as well as those who are being governed unlimited government is a dangerous thing. Inherently government is good because government is God's idea but government can easily exceed its bounds such that the more power placed in the hands of government, the greater is the danger of governmental overreach. A man named Lord Acton, you may not know about him, but I think you're familiar with this famous quotation. He's the one credited with this. Yes, he is. He's credited with this faulty device. Here it is. Oh, no. Okay, good. Power corrupts, but absolute power corrupts absolutely. Therefore, unlimited government is something to be feared. Government must be limited. Now, our government, I think you know this, was built upon biblical principles, and they're reflected in the documents which our founders authored in order for us to be governed, like the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. So both, uh, both the biblical record and these extra-biblical documents call for limits placed on government. In fact, in the preamble to the Constitution, we can find out that the powers of government are limited to these things. Here's the first. Ensuring domestic tranquility. How's the government doing? Let me help you. Portland, Seattle, New York, Folks, it's an abrogation of one of the fundamental constitutionally ordained roles of government to preserve the order. There it is as a preamble in the Constitution, ensuring domestic tranquility. Here's the second thing mentioned therein, providing for the common defense. Thirdly, promoting for the general welfare. And lastly, this is it securing the blessings of liberty. You know what's interesting about that list of governmental responsibilities? These are the things government owes us. What's interesting is not what's there, but what's not there. For instance, look at these things on the slide. Uh, Take a look at that if your eyes are good enough to see it. Uh, Not a one of those things is uh, biblically required of the government, nor is it found in the Constitution. Not a one of those things. Now I wanna ask you to do something as you look through the list. Tell me which of those things do you think is really a bad program? Just yell it out if you'd like. What do you see to be a really bad thing for the government to provide? Yeah, me too. Nothing. That's the point. Though the government cannot be held responsible for these entitlement programs, they are all inherently good. In fact, if I wished to be honest with you, and I suppose I should try it out for a change, I've been the recipient of at least two of these entitlement programs. In fact, I am right now. So are a lot of you. It's called Social Security. It's not an entitlement. Oh, now Billy right there, who uh, feels the freedom to just yell out in church (laughs) because he feels entitled to do that, uh, makes a good point. Uh, Billy is saying it's not an entitlement program because we're financing it. But, Billy, we're financing it because the government requires that we do. So we're going to get to who pays for these programs in just a second. My point here is not that these programs are inherently wrong. My point is only that you can't find anywhere in the Bible nor in extra-biblical documents the foundation of which our country was established, you cannot find any mandate placed upon the government to provide these goods and services. In other words, I think the government is working overtime. Uh, The government has taken on itself much more than it is called to take on itself. For instance, I don't think the founders would ever have imagined things like the Department of Commerce or the Department of Education, or the Department of Health and Human Services, or the Department of Housing and Urban Development. These are not bad governmental functions. They're just functions the founders never would have imagined the government would have invested itself in. In other words, the government is simply required... To, to provide for us that which is indicated, as I mentioned earlier, in First Peter chapter 2, praise for those citizens who do good, punishment and enforcement of the rule of law for those who do evil. But if you're a thinking person, I've just made you uncomfortable. Because if it's not the government who's responsible to take care of the needy members of our society, who will? Whoa way to go how about the church absolutely and i sort of feel like if you're going to yell out something at least let it be correct (laughs) so that was beautiful the church or or, uh uh what about non-government institutions what about private enterprise my experience has this been yours is that non-government institutions seem to be able to provide these services for the needy members of our society with less waste, corruption, bureaucracy, and inefficiency than the government does. I was in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, in time for Hurricane Katrina. Do you remember that? 2006, Uh, was it 2005? You know, I want to tell you something you people are not so perfect either i just want to tell you this okay 2005 so uh uh it was terrible in uh that part of louisiana horrific and our church decided to withhold our conventional ministries in order to do ministry that was required in the day So one of the things we did was to suspend all our regular programming in our buildings in order to open them up uh, for 700 residents of our buildings, many of whom were literally pulled out of the waters in New Orleans. 700 people on our campus for three months. When they came, we were off the power grid. We had no electricity, no garbage collection, no nothing. This was men, women, and children. And the churches in the area got together to divide up the laborers. So one church decided, we will daily make sandwiches for those who are frontline workers, first responders, mud out teams, and all the rest our church volunteered our campus because our facilities were amongst the largest at that time in Baton Rouge. And so we provided food, clothing, and shelter as best we could to people. In fact, we arranged to have every one of those 700 people inoculated. There was a threat of cholera and all that. We got volunteers from LSU and Southeastern Louisiana State University in Hammond, Louisiana, doctors and nurses. This is entirely apart from any government agency at this point. They inoculated everyone. We had no problem whatsoever. We had tutoring of the young people with their parents' approval because uh, the... kind of education in New Orleans was a little different than in Baton Rouge, and the kids were at a bit of a disadvantage. We found ways to provide every kid with the uniform clothing required in the Baton Rouge school system, khaki pants and a kind of a pullover blue shirt. We managed to provide all this, even backpacks for the little kids. We filled it with rulers and notebooks and all of this kind of thing. We did all of this long before any government agency showed up. Then they did, and I'm not knocking it. Uh, We were very, very grateful for the help provided, but it was late, it was inefficient, and all the rest. Because we were doing so good, uh, the lady who headed up the National Red Cross in Washington, D.C., flew to our campus to meet with us. She wanted to know the... Her words, secret of our success. So I asked her, um, uh, um, I mean this respectfully, have you ever, has the Red Cross ever had to address a natural disaster of this kind in the United States? She said, not in over a hundred years, no. And I said, okay, but you're still using a policy book uh, written a hundred years ago. I'll tell you the secret of our success. We're writing a new book because the situation requires it. And agencies like yours are so admired in the way our pastor said this on Sunday. We used to do it and the bureaucracy of it all that they had gross, unnecessary inefficiency. At the end of Katrina, the uh, I think the sociology department at LSU did a survey of the community asking them, or which agency, which institution is the one you feel uh, delivered most help to you during this time of critical need? And they said the churches of Baton Rouge. The churches. They didn't say FEMA, even though FEMA was quite helpful. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. They said the churches. Folks, that's the way it's supposed to be. All of these things are not the responsibility Of the government. Our responsibility is to see and have a heart for not just the lost, but even the poor amongst us. I think we have largely abrogated that. Why? I think many of us are so overtaxed, we don't have the financial wherewithal to help those impoverished people we really would like to. And so you see the government overstepping its ground and having to pay for it through Heavy taxation on most of us is keeping us from doing that, which is our responsibility. We're the ones who were to help the poor. You've heard of the Apostle Paul, right? He was having a discussion with some fellow apostles, and uh, this is what he said about them. It's in Galatians chapter 2, verse 10. There it is. He said, they, the other apostles, only asked us to remember the poor. The very thing, said Paul, I was also eager to do. Folks, that is our responsibility to have eyes for impoverished, needy, fellow citizens and meet the needs. That is not primarily the government's responsibility. But because the government, in my opinion, has taken on much more than is required by both the Bible and the Constitution... Government spending to fund those programs is out of control. In 2016, so that's a long time ago, in 2016, even then, two-thirds of government spending went for various social or entitlement programs, the likes of which we mentioned earlier. After that expenditure, there was provision for national defense, much more for entitlement programs than national defense. And then after national defense, the next biggest category of government spending was. Now, here's where you come in. If you get this right, you could leave early. What do you think the next uh, largest area of government expenditure uh, is? After entitlement programs, then national defense, any idea what? What'd you say? Say that one more time. Oh, education is a very good guess, yet wrong. But, 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 yes, ma'am. What do you think all the way in the back there? Medicaid? Oh, okay, not that, not that. Government salaries, no. Who said that? No, you get to leave. You got it right, brother interest on the government debt. Who do you think is financing these entitlement programs? The government is, through taxation and indebtedness, the likes of which, if you ran your personal budget the way the government is running the national budget, you'd be put in jail. Our government spends, at present, three times as much on social and entitlement programs, which are not specified in the Constitution, as on national defense, which is specified in the Constitution. And this is something I think you ought to pay attention to. When we look to the government to provide for all our needs, we then empower the government to have more access to our lives. Are you like me? I am just feeling increasingly intruded upon. I just think that's government overreach. Now, I know this is not government, but could I get this off my chest? Homeowners Association. So I have grass, and sometimes it doesn't grow the way I'd like. So I got a bunch of good topsoil, and I put it out to fill in depressions, cover up tree roots, you know, enrich the lawn so that before the growing season came to an end, I'd have a real nice, lush, green lawn. Well, I get a nasty gram from the Homeowners Association. Had my name on it. It was rather threatening. Threatening. It said, you know, your responsibility as a homeowner is to keep up your lawn in in an aesthetically pleasing manner so that you don't detract from the appearance of the entire subdivision and on and on. And if you don't get it fixed, they wanted me to get uh, sod and put it out there. You don't get it fixed by such and such date. You will be hearing from our attorneys. That's what you want to say to a guy. So I got an attorney. I got him cheap. He happened to be my son. <laughs> and you get what you pay for, by the way. But I just told him, Tim, here's the deal. I just want you to write some lawyer letter and lean on them because they are threatening me. They, they are causing me emotional uh, damage. So he writes this thing in legalese and stuff like that. He said, Dad, take pictures of the lawn. I said, why? Well, I said, just do it. So I did it. I gave it to him, and he said, uh, you have accused the Rothbergs of not uh, taking care and, of their lawn and not rendering sufficient upkeep of it. Uh, uh, the opposite is true. This is soil uh, that they paid for. In fact, they hired a professional landscaper, which I did. He's a friend of mine. Okay, but he's a, <laughs> he's a professional in an entirely different field. But no, no. <clears throat> They uh, did it, and that was the deal. And then, and so they backed off after causing us enormous distress. Now I know it's not the government, but uh, it just illustrates this terrible intrusion into our lives, which is not in any way what the framers had in mind with reference to to our government. And so that's one of the reasons why um, w- we want to do what we could to limit a government we are increasingly being intruded upon by government to whom we are giving increasing authority and power. Now, at a certain time in Israel's history, hey, Carol, are you here? Carol, hey, Carol. So we had an email conversation today, which was really, really great, and I thank you for it, Carol. So this has a little bit to do with what we were talking about. At one time in Israel's history, um, she uh, had God as king. That's a pretty good deal, don't you think? That's called a theocracy. I know we value a democracy, but a theocracy is more better. Are you kidding me? God on the throne. And God said, I'm going to separate you out, Israel. I will be your God. And Israel says, thank you, but no thank you. We want a king, what they say? Yeah, like the other nations. You see that? Let's not just bash Israel. That's us too. We want, You know, God distinguishes us as his sons and daughters, and we want to fit in. Compromise. So Israel demands a king like all the other uh, nations. So Samuel at the time was God's spokesman. God told Samuel, take it easy, Samuel, calm down. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. Samuel, give them what they want, but warn them first. And the warning Samuel was told to give them is contained in 1 Samuel chapter 8. Samuel told the people that the government would, the government that they're requiring, that they're demanding, would take their sons for their armies, would take their daughters for cooks and bakers, would take the best of their fields, would take a tenth of their seed and their vineyards, would take their best young men, would take a tenth of their flock. Samuel's warning was... uh, was summed up in this theme word, which government is characterized by. Hang on. Hey, there we go. Take unlimited government that oversteps its grounds and seeks to provide those things which nonprofits, churches, Good citizens are really to provide. That government is characterized by that word. It takes. When government is looked to for the promotion of all things and the provision of all things, that government will continue to take more of our things. When we look... When we... Oh, my. Here we go. When we look to the government for unlimited provision... The government will look to us for unlimited power. Welcome to modern day America. That's the situation. And there's something else. When citizens expect the government to provide for all their needs, the government will seek to do so, you know how? By redistributing the wealth of its citizens. You know what that's called? Socialism. And boy, is that popular, especially amongst younger people today. It's Marxism. It's socialism. It's an obligatory, compulsory redistribution of wealth. So when a government takes what some have produced and gives it to those who have not, it hurts both the producers and the recipients. Why? It deprives both of the incentive to produce. Both the one whose productivity is snatched from them and the one who, as an act of welfare, uh, receives it, both are demotivated. It's bad. Both the producer and the recipient become demotivated. They lose incentive to produce. And a society needs the productivity of all of its able members. Now, in light of fallen human nature, God has, as we've mentioned, authored and ordained government as a tool to uphold order, to administer justice, and to enforce the rule of law. But in light of fallen human nature, government must be limited, Now, you're going to get to vote in November, and you must vote for whomever you want to. I think some are exercising the option not to vote at all. I just don't think that's a good decision. I think uh, one of the criteria, it seems to me, behind an informed vote by a Christian citizen is that one or ones you perceive to be more prone not to increase government but to limit it. I'm not entirely certain how to figure that out, but I just think it's a citizen's responsibility. It's yours and mine. I'll tell you why. A former uh, Treasury Department official named Peter Fisher said that the federal government is basically a gigantic insurance company. We want it to insure us for any real or imagined contingency. Folks, that's not the role of government. I think, therefore, as an informed voter, you and I ought to think about that administration, whoever it may be, less prone to overwork itself, overpromise, and overprovide, because redistribution of wealth is, around the corner, a kind of a socialistic kind, in order to finance all these government social and entitlement programs so what are we to do at this point we'll close with this well i think we need to look to the lord jesus christ for the kind of insurance of things we are really uh have become too dependent on the government for like the insurance of help and provision and how about forgiveness of sin and and a heavenly government to come. Um, In one of our Wednesday nights at some point under this topic of government, I'd like for us to just sit back and bask in a discussion on what government will look like when the Lord Jesus rules from a throne established here on earth. We're a little disenchanted by government today, regardless of the administration. Maybe it's all meant by God to pose a grand contrast between it and what it will be like when Jesus is enthroned here upon the earth. So we'll talk about that. But until that uh, comes, what is the responsibility of you and I, the Christian citizen? So I will close with this statement. It is to be in subjection to the existing government. Does that mean total and complete subjection? Yes. Does it mean subjection to a government? Some governments have not just legalized abortion, they require it. Are we? If you're a Christian living under that kind of government, are you required to subject yourselves to that government? I'm going to make a statement. Yes. Yes. What if the government requires of you uh, to cease identifying with the Lord Jesus Christ? That's actually happening in certain places, like China. China is mandating now that crosses be removed and that various heads of Chinese government be worshipped instead of this Jesus. What would you do if you were a Chinese Christian, of whom there are many well, I want to make the point tonight and prove it, Lord willing, next week. Even under those circumstances, the Christian citizen must be in subjection. Total, unconditional subjection to the government. Now, I know uh, by your scowls and silence, I have aroused some what-ifs. Really? What if? Well, we're going to deal with the what-ifs next week. This is just a cruel fleshly carnal way to get you to come back. So, we will talk about this next week. Listen, we spoke about what the government owes us and doesn't owe us. Next week, Lord willing, we'll talk about what do we owe the government? All right. That's what we'll do till next time. Until then, Lord Jesus Christ, look at us even in our posture. We're bowing. Oh no, 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 not before any government official. We're bowing before you, king above all kings. And yet within your sovereign kingship, you have requirements of us with regard to the government. We must be informed about it and do it because we Christians ought to be the most exemplary citizens there is. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you're enthroned on high. We look forward to the establishment of your kingdom even here on earth And until then, help us to be salt and light and function in accordance with our primary calling, which I don't think is to reform the government. It is to represent you to all people. For when you inhabit a person's life, that person's life is entirely changed. That person gets not only the forgiveness of sins, but the very mind of Christ. So help us to leave this place not in any way discouraged or feeling helpless, but motivated. Motivated to be salt and light and to spread the good news of Jesus who wishes to be Lord and Savior. Help us to propagate that message with more passion than ever before. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you folks. Hope to see you this Sunday. Thank you for coming. You're dismissed.